Good morning. Buenos dias, everyone. Waiting on God and gaining strength, Isaiah 40, an incredible chapter, a, a chapter in the Bible I return to many times. What an inspiring verse, that last verse, verse 31 of Isaiah 40. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. What an inspiring truth. I feel like you're in the locker room, you know, just before the big game, and, and God's telling you, you got this. But we don't always feel that way. We need God. We need faith in Christ to do his kingdom work. Our mission statement is this, to make disciples who know, love, and serve God together in community in all contexts of life. To know God, that's the mind, that's the head. <laughs> to love God, that's the soul or the heart. To serve God, that's our hands, our feet. And we do it together, that's community. We're a community here. And all context of life, by the way, that TTT, do you know what that stands for? This time tomorrow. That's why we have people sharing what's going on the next day because during the week we're serving God together in community. Even when we're scattered, we're doing God's work out there. It's all by God's grace. It's all through Christ. He's the one who makes it possible. And as we do launch into fall ministry, ministry's been going on all summer here through you wherever you are, organized together when we gather and when we're scattered. But this fall, we know we need God more than ever. I know the answer to this. Have you ever been weary following Christ? Just get tired? Just wonder what God's doing? Feel like you're not connected to this one who's all-powerful? We become faint. Our doubts grow. Our trust in God maybe wavers a little bit. I'm not sure God knows exactly the best way. Even though we know he does, we don't always feel that way. So Isaiah 40 is a treasure chest. It's full of faith and courage-producing truths. You're familiar with this passage, right? A lot of you are. Most of you are. This is, we, we hang this verse on plaques. Maybe some of you, it's your life verse, maybe. I don't know. But don't let, I'm familiar with this verse, this chapter, cause you to miss the truth, you know, like I, I know this already. No, we need a reminder for God's strength to be given to us through the Spirit. So let's take a look. Powerful truth in Isaiah 40 is heightened by the context. I'd like to read the first 11 verses. Would you follow along with me? Comfort. Comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her. Her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries. In the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill made low. 
The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. We'll stop there. I won't read all those 11 verses because we're going to look at some of those verses a little later. But this, those first 11 verses are a prologue, like an introduction to the rest of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 40 is, is a cutting off point where, where God's mostly before that, chapters 1 through 39, talking about judgment. There's grace mixed in there. We looked at that last week in Isaiah 30. But now he focuses on the future and what his grace and his kingdom glory and his power is going to accomplish. And the theme is peace. G. Campbell Morgan reminds us of that, that the peace is a theme of the rest of the book of Isaiah. And in verses or chapters 40 through 48, the purpose of peace is kind of laid out. It's discussed. In chapters 49 through 57, the prince of peace is discussed. So there's a focus on the coming Messiah. All those chapters really focus on Jesus Christ, the one who was going to be coming about 700 years after Isaiah prophesied about his coming. And then the last chapters talk about how God's program is going to bring peace. So we look forward and we see this is an introduction to a lot of great information. But if you look back in verse chapters 34 through 39, the context brings chapter 40 even into sharper focus. <laughs> great as it is, kind of like isolated by itself, the context even makes it more powerful. It raises questions because God says, bring comfort to my people. It brings up the question, how are all the powerful rebelling nations? I mean, we just prayed about wars. And we didn't mention a lot of other wars that are going on in strife around the world. So how are these rebelling nations, these nations that, that aren't listening to God, how are they going to be subdued? Draw near, look at chapter 34. Draw near, O nations, to hear and give attention, O peoples. Let the earth hear and all that fills it, the world and all that comes from it. For the Lord is enraged against the nations and furious against all their hosts. He has devoted them to destruction and has given them over to slaughter. How are the nations going to be subdued? Well, chapter 40 begins to answer that. God Almighty is going to take care of it. Chapter 35, the wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it. The majesty of Carmel and Sharon, they shall see the glory of the Lord and the majesty of our God. How is the desert going to bloom like a water garden? Chapter 40 begins to answer it. God Almighty is going to take care of it. Chapters 36 through 39 in the book of Isaiah are, are historical. It talks a lot about King Hezekiah. He was a good king. He was a king that believed in God and trusted God. And, and there's a, a brief report there. Syria is pressing in, and Hezekiah is all afraid. They're threatened by it. They're going to be delivered from Assyria, but there's news that a hundred years later or so, Babylon's going to come and, and sweep Israel away. So 
How can that be comforting news? Because the Lord Almighty is going to take care of his people and give them strength and bring them back to the land. So the context of Isaiah 40 kind of makes it even stronger. It's answering the question, how can this be? God will do it. We read those first five verses in Isaiah 40. Comfort, comfort my people. That's God's message to his people. This is covenant language. Comfort who? My people. The people I made a covenant with. The people I promised that I will never leave or forsake them. Comfort, comfort my people. Speak tenderly. All these commands are in the plural. So it's not just Isaiah who gets to say this, is supposed to say this message. All the prophets were, and I guess if we want to apply it, you are too, right? Comfort, comfort my people. Spread the news that God is going to work. God's chosen people have been terribly unfaithful, chapters 1 through 39 of Isaiah, but God's not like people. He's faithful to his word. He keeps his promise. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem, says your God. You're my people. I am your God. Covenant language. Your iniquity is pardon. Interesting thing it says in verse 2. She's received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Is that how God works? You ever feel like, like, okay, God, I did this. I kind of think this sin's little, but you've whacked me. Like, are you never going to quit whacking me? That's hyperbole. That's an exaggeration. God always is fair when he deals with sin. Big sin gets big punishment. Little sin gets little punishment. God mentions that in the New Testament. God does not treat us as our sins deserve. He's more than fair. He's super gracious and merciful. Remember the prodigal son? He didn't deserve any what his father did, but his father embraced him, brought him back, and raised him up higher than he was before. What about Psalm 103? He's merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. Our Father is compassionate and gracious. Gracious, He does not treat us as our sins deserve. As a matter of fact, He takes our sins and casts them far away as the east is from the west. And then He talks about the coming glories. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. John the Baptist, we know, is one of those announcers, but he was just one of many who speaks about God's highway being made. God's going to make a way. God's coming. All obstructions are going to be removed. And all his people are called on. That includes us in this present day to prepare the way for the Lord so the people, so he can come easily and smoothly and everyone in the world is going to see it. The mouth of the Lord has spoken. Have you ever had anyone confront you? Who is this God that you say you believe in and trust in? 
and he says that this is going to happen. Who is this God? There are lots of gods, small g, who claim all kinds of things and declarations have been made. What makes your God so different? Have your Bibles open. Let's go back real quick to chapter 30, 36, the historical section, because lots of people boast. In chapter 36, Assyria, Sennacherib's invading Judah, the king of Assyria. And listen to what he says in verse 14. Hear the words of the great king, the king of Assyria. Thus says the king, do not let Hezekiah deceive you, for he will not be able to deliver you. Do not let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord by saying, the Lord will surely deliver us. This city will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Do not listen to Hezekiah. For thus says the king of Assyria, make your peace with me and come out to me. Then each one of you will eat of his own vine and each of one of his own fig tree and each one of you will drink the water of his own cistern until I come and take you away to a land like your own land and a land of grain and wine, a land of bread and vineyards. Beware lest Hezekiah mislead you by saying, the Lord will deliver us. Has any of the gods of the nations delivered this land out of the hand of the king of Assyria? Wow. What a boast. What a confrontation. Who is your God? No one has been delivered. All the gods of the world, everyone cries out to. No one's saved them from my hand. As a matter of fact, I think God sent me to take hold of you. Don't listen to Hezekiah. Most of you, many of you, I won't say most of you know the end of the story, right? Chapter 37, look at verse 33. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, he shall not come into this city or shoot an arrow there or come before it with a shield or cast up a siege mound against it. By the way that he came, by the same he shall return, and he shall not come into this city, declares the Lord. For I will defend this city to save it for my own sake and for the sake of my servant David. And an angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. That's who delivered them. That is the God who delivers us. You know, Assyria was boasting, mimicking the voice of their father. Who's their father? Satan. Read Isaiah chapter 14 and his boast. And Ezekiel, his boast, I will ascend. I am the great one. His prideful rebellion. And God in heaven just laughs. Remember who your God is. Remember what he's going to accomplish. That's God's message through Isaiah to Judah. What else is his servant's message? Look at verse 6 through 8. A voice says, remember, this is a, a message of comfort. <laughs> so maybe you should have a question mark here. A message of comfort. A voice says, cry. And I said, that is Isaiah said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers and the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, 
the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. How is this a comfort? It's a reminder of how temporary and helpless we are. Wisdom is telling us that we have to turn to the Lord if we're going to find meaning in life, if we're going to find purpose in life, if we're going to have a fulfilling mission in life. It's all wrapped around our God. It's all wrapped around the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one that enables us to live and to move. It's a reminder that God and his word, we're temporary, but that God and his word is unchanging. Verse 5, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken, it'll be done. But the word of our God will stand forever, it'll be done. He's done amazing deeds, he's going to do more amazing deeds. God is the one unchanging, one enduring reality that's constant. So what are we going to do with that truth? We need to declare the greatness of our God. Look at verse 9. So we're convinced this morning that God's great. I hope you are. How are we going to respond? What are we to do? Look at verse 9. Go up on a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold the Lord God comes with might, and his arm rules for him. Behold his reward is with him, and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Declare the greatness of your God. God gives Zion, God gives Jerusalem, his city, a command. Go. Go shout it from a mountaintop. You've got good news. Don't you dare be bashful. Don't you dare not say anything. Go and shout this news out. Here is your God. We've been given a command too, haven't we? The people of God, the church of Christ. Go therefore, because all authority has been given to Jesus, he's the risen Lord, and make disciples of all nations. Go baptize, go teach. I'll go with you wherever you are. We have good news to tell. So recognize your helplessness. We're just flowers. We're like the flowers. I don't like that idea. We begin to fade. We try to cover it up. We exercise to fight death back. That's a good plan. <laughs> but you're going to fade. You're going to die. You're going to face God Almighty. How's that good news? Well, you know the gospel. Maybe you don't know the gospel, but in Romans chapter 5, it's put this way. Therefore, since we have been justified, we've been declared right with God by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
And through him, we also have obtained access by faith into the grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We're justified by faith. We have, we have belief in Christ, so we're declared righteous. We have peace with God through Christ. All fear is removed. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God because God keeps his promises. I was struck this morning, maybe you were too, probably you were, about how great God's love is. It's amazing. Never tired of thinking about the greatness of God's love that came and saved us, that he humbly came and suffered in our place. He, he, you, he, he willingly was humiliated so I could be raised up and have nothing to fear and be raised up like I'm someone glorious and important. He made me his child. That is just amazing. That's the good news we are to shout out. In verses 10 through 11, I like to say it this way, God is a lion and a lamb. We sing a song, How Great Is Our God? <laughs> and that's one of the lines in it. He's the lion and the lamb. <laughs> Your oppressors and the wicked who care nothing for God are going to die like flowers. God's enemies are going to receive what they deserve, just retribution. But those who trust in the Lord are going to be like his sheep. He's going to take care of them. He's going to draw them close. He's going to protect you if you believe in him. That is good news to share. Declare the glories of God's good news. Is God going to be able to pull this off? <laughs> That question keeps coming up in, the, in Isaiah chapter 40, and the answer is yes. <laughs> He's the incomparable God, and the rest of the chapter goes into it, and I, I just want to highlight a few, a few thoughts. Look at verses 12 through 14. He's the incomparable God. No one can compare to the Lord of heaven. There is no other God that's his equal. He's greater or bigger than all of earth's creation. He designed and he measured out the earth. He measured the waters in the hollows of his hand. That's a picture of how huge God is and mighty. He marked off the heavens with a span. He measured it. Who has measured the spirit of the Lord? Or what man shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult and who made him understand? Who taught God him the path of justice? Who taught him knowledge? He's incomparable. Who showed God a better way to do something? Have you ever thought... How could this building just happen by chance? We would never believe it. All the wires, the, the, the sound system, the musical instruments, all put in place, designed perfectly. Billions and billions of years, how could that all just kind of happen? We, we would laugh at the idea. And yet something more complicated the universe is all in place, and yet sometimes we willingly think, eh, it just happened by chance. He's bigger than that. 
He's greater than that. Of all creation, he planned it. He designed it. He measured it out. Bigger than all the nations, verses 15 through 17. Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket. We live in a very great nation. Some people say that maybe we're the greatest nation in the history of the world. And what does God say? You're dust on the scale. You're a drop in the bucket. All of the nations are a drop in the bucket. How foolish is Satan to tempt Jesus and say, if you bow down and worship me, I'll let you have all the kingdoms of the world. How <laughs> a drop in the bucket compared to who Jesus is. How foolish he is to even think he could tempt Jesus that way. Verses 18 through 20. To whom will you liken God or what likeness compare with him? An idol? <laughs> He's greater than all the idols. Think about how foolish it is People create an idol, an image, a good luck charm, make it out of precious metal, make it out of fancy wood. They shape it, they make it, and then they worship it. They are the creator, and yet they worship it. It's foolish. God is greater than any god, small g, in all the world. Bigger and stronger than all the earth's rulers. Look at verse 21. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the world? It is he, that is God, who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers. He who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness, verse 23. Scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown, scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth. When he blows on them, they wither and the tempest carries them off like stubble. Think of the mightiest rulers that have terrified the world through the years, and there's nothing compared to God. Verses 25 through 26, he controls the whole universe. He counts the stars, and he gives a name to each one of them. Think about that. We can't imagine how many stars there are. And he knows everyone. He counts them, and he has a name for them. That's nothing to think about all the hairs on our heads. And he knows how much I had yesterday and how fewer I have today. But it's not just me, it's you. And how many people are in the world? Seven billion somewhere around there? And then all the billions that have lived before this generation? He could tell us the number. The majesty of our God. Do not turn away from him. Look at the promise in verse 28. Have you not known, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. Israel responded in doubt 
Look at verse 27. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord and my right is disregarded by my God? (laughs) They had no excuse. Israel had no excuse. The nations had willingly turned away, but Israel knew better, and yet they willingly turned away too. And they were questioning God's goodness. Don't turn away. Those who wait on the Lord have their God who is all-powerful and mighty. He never gets weary. He's the only creator. He gives power. God is the unweary one, the all-powerful one, the all-knowing one. And he gives what? To those who trust in him, he gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even the young people are going to get faint and be weary, and young men are going to fall exhausted, but they who wait for the Lord will renew their strength. It all comes through Christ. I want to talk about eagle's wings just for a few minutes. If you have your Bibles open, turn, go ahead and turn back to Deuteronomy chapter 32. We're going to look at two verses there, verses 11 and 12. Eagles soar in the highest parts of the sky. They're beautiful birds. Eagles are beautiful birds. They're scary birds. You know, there's only one way to get eagle's wings. Do you know what that is? How do you get eagle's wings? You don't play for the Philadelphia team, by the way. We're talking about real eagles. How do you get eagle wings? You have to be born an eagle. That's how you get eagle's wings. <laughs> By faith, we become born of God. And he gives us his wings, the wings of Christ, to soar in the heavens and to live for God. That's where he wants to take us, to soar with him in the heavens. By faith. What does Deuteronomy 32 say? It's a beautiful picture. Verse 11. Like an eagle that stirs up its nest, that flutters over its young, spreading out its wings, catching them, bearing them on its pinions, the Lord alone guided him. No foreign God was with him. Speaking of Israel, God's people. You know how young eagles are taught to fly? On the right day... Mom comes into the nest. I don't know where dad is. Maybe dad does this too. I'm not sure. But they kick them out of the nest. And they go falling. They go flapping their wings and they're just falling and falling. And mom comes underneath them and they kind of like in desperation, grab onto me. And they grab onto the tips of the wings and they pick them up. They protect them. They take them back to the nest. And guess what they do? Push them out. And they go fluttering down, and, God, and, the, and the mother eagle catches them, takes care of them, and takes them back to the safety of the nest and keeps doing that until they start to learn to fly and to soar. And that's what God, that's a picture of our God, this almighty God, this, this mother, this father, this perfect loving, caring parent that we have through faith in Christ. In your weariness of life, 
in the struggles you might have in the school hallways or your workplaces or with your body breaking down and starting to fade. Learn to soar with your Savior. He will not fail you because he will catch you with his wings. Lift up your eyes, people of God, and see how great your God is. Be reminded of how great he is. Can you think of all the Bible characters, there's a lot of them, that God, so to speak, pushed out of the nest so that they had to learn to fly and to flutter, and God took care of them all the while while their faith matured and they progressed in holiness. Think about them. Sarah and Abraham pushed out of the nest. Go to a land, I'll show you. You don't know where you're going, but I'll show you. I'll take care of you. We just looked at, you, you just looked at Jacob and Joseph and all that God was doing. Pushed them out of the nest, so to speak. Shaped that whole family, that unholy family, and changed them and molded them and shaped them into different people. Pushed Moses out of the nest to go back to Egypt and deliver his people. Pushed Ruth out of her homeland, out of her nest. Taught her to learn to trust in the true God. Mary and Joseph the parents of Jesus pushed them out of their nest. Fishermen who were called to be disciples pushed out of their, out of their nest and reshaped and remade and taught to trust and to grow and to know their God and to love their God and to serve their God. So has God been pushing you out of a nest lately? And how are you responding to his work in your life? Grace Chapel, has God pushed us out of a nest? And are we fluttering and falling and wondering what he's doing? And will we trust that he knows what he's doing and lean on him and wait on him and let him carry us? to his work through Christ. I'd like to take just a few moments before we take communion and we remember the love of God and, and how he sent Christ to, to make us new people and to shape us as we, as we prepare to do that. Let's take a minute to ponder maybe something you were reminded of that's true about your God today or something new that you heard or something that struck your mind and your heart today. What are you going to take away today to help you wait on the Lord, to, be, to remember his strength so that you gain strength to love and to follow Jesus more faithfully, to grow in your trust? I want you to take a moment and, and, and ponder that. What did, what did I hear? I hope you heard something that would encourage your faith. And then I'd like you, after that moment, to say it back to God, would you? And if you'd like to, if you're comfortable, share that with your neighbor, what you learned, what God showed you. So take a moment, ponder, what did God say to me today? What was I reminded of? And then say that back to the Lord. And sometime today, if not now, share that with someone today. Let's take a moment and ponder.
And then say back to God, quietly in your heart, or some of us have to verbalize it out loud, say it to your neighbor as well. Here's what God taught me today. If you're comfortable, go ahead and say something to your neighbor. Make sure you say it to the Lord and say it to someone else today. Let's pray together. Lord God Almighty, you are great. And there's no power in heaven or earth that can match yours. So open our eyes. Lord, open the eyes of my heart and my mind to remember how great you are and not to fear and to be comforted, to know that you are not abandoning your people, but you're lifting us up. Lord, we love you. Help us to trust you more, to love you more. We ask you to do great things around us. Lord, we remember the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one who makes it possible to come into your presence without fear through his death, burial, and resurrection. Lord, for your honor and glory, we ask you to raise up your people and to show your glory to all the world through us. We're amazed that you call us to do that, to be partners with you. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, we give thanks and pray. Amen.